don't know about you, but I love New Hope Chapel. I love you guys. I love the body of Christ. I love my brothers and sisters. And I can't tell you how many times people have stepped alongside of me when I needed it most and have just prayed by leading of the Holy Spirit. I just had some person come up to me and they were praying for me. And, you know, it's sometimes I got to look at the mirror and say, I'm a child of God. Because it just gets so overwhelming that it's easier just not to do it anymore. It's easier just to walk away. It's easier to take the towel and to throw it. And the person was praying that if I take the towel and to throw it, that God would throw it back. <laughs> and I think that's happening. So five times at least this month. But so anyways, God is good. God is great all the time. Sounds like a song. All right, so after, listen, we're going to start today. We're going to be in Luke uh, 5, chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, you know, you can go there. But we're going to start with after John the Baptist, after he's been arrested. And after John the Baptist has been arrested, he goes to, uh, Jesus leaves Judea, and he returns to Galilee to begin to preach. And um, he begins to preach, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's in Galilee that he's going to, formally call his first group of four disciples. And today we're going to go, we're going to use the Gospel of Luke, because Luke gives us a little bit more detail uh, concerning the events that unfold and about the interaction between Christ and the fishermen in Galilee. And so Luke 5, 1 goes, he goes, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genseret, just murdered that pronunciation, but I think that's the Sea of Galilee, actually. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Excuse me. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And although not mentioned in Luke here, in Matthew, we know that Andrew was with them. So we have these four men and Jesus confirms who he is. And he does this miracle and they catch all these fish. And some of it's reacted to very strongly. What does Peter do? He fell on his knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, because he thought he was too sinful to be in the presence of God, be in the presence of the Messiah. It was a miracle. It was witnessed by all four. And it was from that day on that these men's lives were going to change. And it wasn't because of the miracle. It was because Jesus Christ called them. And in Luke, he said, don't be afraid from now, you will fish for people. I think maybe we know it better in Matthew and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Christ called and they responded. They left everything and they followed him. 
The King James Version, it says, they forsook all and followed him. I think that has a little bit more body to that word. You know, it means to leave, to lay aside, to let go. Everything would take a back seat to Jesus Christ. As the Lord called and they answered, they left their means of making a living. And they showed that they were willing to commit to Christ and walk away from the worldly things. They dropped their nets. They left their profession and followed who they believed was the Messiah. It's called walking in faith. This was an invitation. This was an invitation to leave their job and to jump on God's path and to be fishers of men. And this brings me to my first point. I have four points. And this is my first point. They were an example of choosing Christ over everything. They're an example of walking in faith and trusting in him and had strong enough faith, faith to answer his call, taking their eyes off the things around them. Letting go of the thought that they had to provide this provision and they felt responsible for, for something and they trusted in the Lord's plan and they just let go and they let God and they let the nets go and they followed him. See, I believe we struggle with that because a lot of times we want to know the plan. A lot of times we feel like we need to do something more. We need to have our act together. We need to put all the dominoes in a row before we can do anything. But when the, call, when the Lord calls, we have to ask ourselves, if we, the Lord calls us right now to do something, are we ready to go? Probably calling people right now who are resisting. And we kind of let the, bar, the world set the bar concerning education and accomplishments. And we want to see a resume to see if you're actually equipped to serve God properly. And listen, unfortunately, sometimes we may choose the person with the Ph.D. when it's the fisherman who's actually ordained by God. I have to be careful with that. We have to remember that the effectiveness for the kingdom of God is from the supernatural power of God, not a billions in talents. He may use our talents, may use our abilities, but without his power behind it, it's not going to work anyways. The Lord can use anyone he wants to. So listen, don't sell yourself short. When God wants to pull you into deeper waters... He's going to empower you to do so. When God wants to bring you into new ministry, he's going to empower you to do so. He wants you to let go and to let him. And then he's going to take over. In your weakness, you're going to find his strength. Hey, if he's choosing you to do something, it's a privilege and an honor. Not a burden. So don't sell yourself short. When you look in that mirror and go, I can't possibly do that. Look in that mirror and go, I'm a child of God. There's nothing too impossible. These guys that were chosen by Christ were fishermen. They were uneducated, rough individuals who often used vulgar language. Frankly, what I just summed up, some people wouldn't want them coming to the church. Never mind being used by God. 
Fishing was a physically demanding thing, and so they worked hard and often fought the elements to make a living. They were tough and rough around the edges, and this is who Christ calls. It's a testimony of the supernatural power of God over a person's talents and abilities, because if God wants to use you, he'll equip you. It's a testimony to walking in faith and trusting in his strength and relying on him, because they just went. And these four were going to grow. These four were going to grow in their understanding of who they were in the Lord. These four were going to grow in faith. And it wasn't going to be easy. You know, God uses whoever he wants. And these four fishermen are a good example. But even within them, we see a variety of different personalities. And when I mention those names, you know, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Peter's name probably sticks out foremost for a lot of people because there are a lot of familiar, very familiar with some of the, at least some of the events in Peter's life. I mean, we know that he eventually is the leader. He's the spokesman for the group. To his credit, Peter's the guy who gets out of the boat and by a moment by faith walks on water. Peter's the one who stands up at Pentecost and he preaches and 3,000 souls get saved. Peter is the one at Gates Beautiful when he says to the lame man, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And the guy does. Pretty amazing stuff. God uses Peter in powerful ways, but we sometimes forget that his road wasn't smooth. There was much for him to learn. He was outspoken, he was brash, and he often put his foot in his mouth. And Christ has to often set Peter straight on what's acceptable and what was not when it comes to the things of the kingdom of God. And if you remember, Peter is the one who, after Christ says he has to suffer and he has to die, who rebukes Christ and says, no, you can't do that. And the Lord's response to him, get behind me, Satan, because you're a hindrance to me. He sets him straight that he's concentrating on human concerns. And that's where his head's at instead of concentrating on the concerns of God. My nose is at you. What's that mean? (laughs) Listen, Peter is the one who adamantly says to Christ, I'll never betray you. And then denies him three times, right? He's the guy when they come to arrest him and he grabs his sword and he hacks off the servant's ear because he thinks he's doing the right thing. And Christ rebukes him and says, put the sword away. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Listen, there's so much more in Peter's work that we're not talking about. I hope you get the point. He was used powerfully by God, but at the same time, he was being stretched. He was being refined. In his weakness, God showed his strength. He took Peter and he was molding him into the apostle that he wanted him to be. Sometimes Peter stumbled and sometimes Peter fell down and it was Christ who helped him up. He had this strong, outgoing personality and Jesus used it, but he also refined it. And unlike his brother, Andrew wasn't like Peter. Andrew was the opposite. I don't know if you got two kids or not, but you see one's crazy, one's calm. (laughs) Yep, got one of those. 
personality-wise, his brother Andrew was just the opposite. He was not like Peter. He was more of the behind-the-scenes guy. As a matter of fact, it was Andrew who originally introduced Peter to Jesus Christ. Now, this was before John the Baptist was arrested. In John chapter 1, we see that after John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, the next day he's standing hanging out with two of his disciples, and he sees Jesus walk by and he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. And in John 1.37 it says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Christ, they followed Jesus. And they ended up spending time with him. And in verse 40 it says, Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. These guys were devout Jews. We know that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. They believed the Messiah would come and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And this speaks volume about Andrew because after he had spent time that day with Jesus, what does he do? He does what he, he continues to do what he does throughout his whole ministry. He takes Peter and he brings him to Christ. And he continues to do that. It's Andrew who introduced the boy with the five loaves of bread and two fish to Jesus. And what did that result in? 5,000 people being fed. This is what Andrew does. He's behind the scenes and he just keeps bringing people to Christ. As a matter of fact, when Philip was approached by the Gentile Greeks because they wanted to meet Jesus, what does Philip do? He brings him to Andrew. And they both bring him to Jesus. Because Andrew was humble and he was comfortable being in the background and evidently believed everyone needed to meet Christ. Amen. And even concerning their relationship with, with Christ, Peter, James, and John are considered the Lord's inner circle, and Andrew is still in the background. Behind the scenes doesn't make him less effective. And behind the scenes doesn't alleviate his duty to share the gospel. He's a man who behind the scenes but defective for the kingdom, quieter than the others, but still sharing the gospel, still walking forward for the kingdom of God. Peter and Andrew, very different. Both still leading people to Christ. On the opposite side of the personality scale. But what about the other two? What about James and John, son of Zebedee? They certainly were not like Andrew. Most likely more like Peter, or maybe I should say Peter was maybe more like them, at least James. And just for clarity's sake, this was not the James who wrote the epistle. That was the brother of Christ. This is the James, son of Zebedee. And once again, just for clarity's sake, prevalent belief is that this, his brother John is the author of the epistles and the author of Revelation. To best know these two and where they were coming from, we probably want to take into consideration what the Lord gives them for a nickname. And he refers to them as Vornies, which means sons of thunder. That speaks volumes by itself. They had passion. They were outspoken. They were aggressive. They were fervent. They had zeal. Sometimes they were overzealous. Sometimes, like Peter, they just did not get it. And sometimes Jesus has to step in to change their attitude and change their thinking. In the book of Mark, we're told that 
John witnesses someone driving out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. And what his reaction is, he doesn't rejoice. He goes over and he tells that person, hey, you're not part of us. Stop it. He says, you're not one of us. What are you doing? And the Lord rebukes him. He says, don't tell him to stop. Evidently, demons were being driven out. They were being ousted. Miracles were happening. And this was the Lord's point, is that he's performing a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. He's not likely to say bad things about Jesus Christ. And he even goes on and says to John, for whoever is not against us is for us. What are you doing? It's like saying, listen, you're not in my church. Stop praying for that person. John was thinking as a world and not as king, you know, in kingdom minded sense. And sometimes this thinking that they had problems with this worldly thinking led to bigotry, led to bias. And this becomes clear when they're dealing with a Samaritan village. The word says that as the time of Jesus being taken up to heaven approached, he started towards Jerusalem. So he set out for Jerusalem and on his path, he was going to go directly through a Samaritan village. And listen, if you know anything about the Samaritans, there was no love lost between the Jews and Samaritans because they considered the Samaritans half breeds. Israel's Israelites who had intermarried with foreigners. And also the Samaritans had their old temple of worship and they rejected Jerusalem as the center of worship for the Jews. So it's not surprising that when Jesus sends messages ahead of him to the village so they could prepare for his arrival on the way to Jerusalem, that guess what? They weren't well received. He was not welcome. And the sons of thunder live up to their nickname. In Luke 9:53 it says, And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, with all that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. The sons of thunder viewed them as enemies of Christ. Therefore, let's wipe them out. That would be the easiest solution. And if you heard any of my sermons of Jeremiah, those guys, you know, God himself wanted to wipe some of those people out because they were going to affect the Israelites. So these guys, through bias, through, they hated them. They thought they were enemies of God, and they were fine with wiping them out. And that's what they jumped to conclusions. And Christ's reaction to them is one of rebuke, because where are their hearts at? This spirit that they have of wanting to wipe them out is not from mercy. It's not from grace. It's from revenge. It's from bias. And he tells them in verse 56, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Once again, their thinking was stuck in their bias, stuck in the past. And the Lord has to adjust it. All four were potters, I mean, uh, clay on the potter's wheel. And the Lord was making them into his creation. It's good to remember that all these four guys, these rough and tough fishermen, they all had issues. They all had problems. They all had hang-ups. They all had prejudices. But it's encouraging to know that the Lord met them right where they were at. And he did the same for us. And the Holy Spirit was going to make them more and more Christ-like. And he was going to bring them down that road. 
but it wasn't going to be easy. And that's my third point. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, don't expect easy. Don't expect easy. I'm not saying it's all going to be horrific and there's not going to be times that it's easy and there's not going to be enjoyable times. You know, there is. But those things in our lives that will hinder us from walking forward for the kingdom of God will be brought to mind and biblically dealt with. When we accept Christ into our lives, we are declared holy by God, but there's still progressive sanctification, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to make us more and more Christ-like. And those habits and those hurts and those hang-ups and those, the healing that needs to go on, a lot of times it hurts before it heals. And we're going to have to deal with prejudice and we're going to have to deal with pride and we're going to have to deal with selfish desires and hang-ups and selfish practices. And there's going to be conviction and there's going to be direction and there's going to be tweaking and there's going to be the two-by-four. May not be easy, but God's doing it for our benefit because he loves us. There will be bumps in the road. You know, I often say we have a God of get up because there will be times when we make mistakes and we fall down. And for some reason we get stuck in that guilt, in that shame, and we bury our feet in the mud. And we're convincing ourselves we can't get up. And Christ is like, get up. Let's go. Work to do. There are times when we think we're making the right choice, man, and we're all in to find out it's so far from what God really wants. And we learn the hard way. I'll tell you what, we are so blessed to have the word of God, though, the revealed word of God, that we can to think to ourselves, oh, I've got to make this choice. Does this line up with the word of God? We can go to the word of God and we can question how we're living. We can question the direction we want to go and we can question the choices that we have to make. And we have something to consult But even having said that, sometimes we'll know the truth and we'll be staring at the verse and then we'll make the wrong decision. And we'll go in the wrong direction. For these four apostles, there were times of pain. There were times of they battled with doubt. There was sometimes they would let the world dictate their views. Their faith was tested. But they persevered and they endured. And they grew in the Lord. And they realized the power at their disposal. And they saw the miraculous. And they witnessed the growth of the church. And the one thing they had in common right from the beginning is they all led people to Christ because they clearly saw the importance of eternal salvation. To them, being in the background didn't take away their responsibility from introducing people to Jesus. And they were ready to... To, to surrender their lives rather than stop preaching the gospel. Their faith was solid. And when the persecution came, they were spiritually ready. Book of Acts said when Herod Agrippa came into power and he starts hammering the church. This is interesting because he starts hammering the church and he goes after the church. And you know what? He doesn't go after Peter first. It's the leader. He goes after James, the son of thunder. Most likely because he wouldn't shut his mouth. <laughs> Amen. 
I like that guy. You know, Peter gets arrested. James becomes the first apostle martyred. He gets beheaded by the sword. We know that later on, Peter's arrest, he would turn into being crucified. And on the way there, would request to be crucified upside down, church tradition, would be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner as the Lord. John wouldn't shut up and kept preaching the gospel too. And under the reign of Dominion, he escaped death to being boiled in oil. That's what tradition says. And then later was exiled to the island of Patmos where he ended up dying of natural causes. I find this really interesting because Andrew, the guy in the background, the quiet guy all the time. Okay, he was quiet, but as he always did, He kept leading people to Jesus Christ. He kept preaching the gospel. And when the wife of a governor accepted Christ, the governor was not happy. He was angered against Andrew. He had him flogged and he had him crucified. And so you have Peter and Andrew, opposite sides of the scale when it comes to the personality, both doing the same thing, leading the people to Jesus Christ and staying in the gospel message. And what happens People are aggravated. People are angered. People are irritated by the truth. And they both get crucified. And you know what Andrew does? He has to be crucified on an axe because he doesn't think himself worthy enough to be crucified like the Lord was. Like his brother. Different though. And church tradition states, as they flogged him and they crucified him, for two days he preached the gospel to his tormentors before he died. Guy in the background wasn't so in the background then. Forefront or background, the results were the same. There was a willingness to surrender one's life for Jesus Christ. Brings me to my fourth and final point. These four, they stood firmly in faith. They endured, they persevered, even facing death, even dying. And we are called to stand firm in our faith. We are not to yield to the pressure of the world. They didn't. We're not to stop sharing the gospel message. They didn't. But I think it's also a good gut check to ask ourselves sometimes, where are we in our faith? Like the apostles, we should be willing to drop everything and follow the Lord. We should know that if God is using us, we should have confidence that he's going to supply everything we need. We should understand that it's only by his power anyway that we're going to be effective walking forward for the kingdom of God. We should know that it's not going to be easy. And when someone comes to you and says, hey, listen, you want to do this? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Does God want you to do that? And you're still going, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Listen, it's not always going to be easy. 
what we go through may be just downright miserable and hard till we get to the other side. God has his way with us, does his work in us. Should know that our walk will come with trials, some pain, some hurt. Should expect the easy. Shouldn't expect the easy. And lastly, in the face of adversity, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God, we should stand firm with the assurance that Jesus Christ is right here. With the assurance that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the Holy assurance that Jesus Christ has his hand on us, and when he is for us, who can be against us? Listen, we can sing that all day, but if we're not walking in it, what good is it? But that's a promise for those who are children of God. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for, Lord, allowing us to put up these prayers, Lord, to uh, pray for one another, Lord. Lord, help us to learn from these men who you've called, Lord. Help us to, uh, Lord, listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your direction, Lord, as you try to send us and move us and call us in different ways to do different things. Lord, you're amazing, God. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for this body, Lord. Pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you keep our eyes fixed on you this week, Lord, that we would be unashamed for people to recognize us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you'll empower us. We just praise your name for it. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Service has ended. Go with the grace of God.